right, and welcome everybody to an EM Over Easy podcast. We are doing social distancing this morning like we did with our last episode with Tanner all the way back in Boise, Idaho, up really early to record with Drew and I this morning. We're talking about COVID-19, and this is going to be our part two episode covering that topic. We specifically will be answering a couple questions we got on social media and then just kind of getting an update from all of us here. So guys, how are we doing? Good morning. Good morning. It's, uh, it's a little early here compared to you guys, but uh, feeling pretty good. You know, I got to be honest right now, it's it's really weird. Columbus, I don't know what Boise's like the last day or two, but it yesterday was absolutely incredible. It was uh, in the 60s, sunny. I went out for a run already this morning. It's sunny and, and going to be in the 50s and 60s again today. People are out on the streets doing a good job social distancing for the most part, which is good. But it's just so weird to think that you look outside and it's absolutely beautiful. It's gorgeous. And then you know that there's the absolute opposite thing going on in our hospitals, particularly in New York right now, because gosh, the the reports coming out of Queens in particular are uh, horrific. I don't, I don't know how else to describe it horrific, but it's, it's such a dichotomy in this world. I, it's, it's almost hard to grasp, to be honest. Yeah. It re- kind of reminds me of what we talked about last time is that, you know, you can't quite shake that ominous feeling, even though something else is so great and beautiful outside, it's like, ugh, still feel weird on the inside. So yeah, I just want to echo that, that it's, it's been weird. It's been nice, like Drew said, the last couple of days, so it's been able to get outside of the house, but just this eerily feeling, I know we mentioned in the last episode, like watching a, watching a hurricane come in, and I feel like we're still in that early stages, waiting for it to get bad here, but again, like Drew mentioned, there are places, San Francisco, New York City, Seattle, Washington, hot spots in the country that are just in tr- truly getting hammered, where it's just us kind of watching the sidelines waiting, and so it's been kind of weird. I think that's been the big thing that changed for me since the last time we recorded is, you know, I had only worked one shift in the whole COVID realm uh, last time we recorded, but, you know, I worked six shifts in seven days. Uh, and it was weird how my perspective kind of changed over time. Like at first I was just very, very like, oh my gosh, it's coming, it's coming. I, I'm, we're waiting for this wave, this tidal wave of people uh, and, and sickness to come in our hospital. And then I started to realize that it is coming, but it's it's going to be more of a, a, a long, slow destruction as opposed to a fast ramp up type of scenario, at least until it hits us. And that was the big mentality change for me is this is, this is not a sprint. This is a, this is a marathon. Yeah. It, it's really strange to read about what's happening in other places. Obviously we know what happened in, in China and, and what's Italy and Spain um, who have been hit really hard. And now what's going on in certain hotspots in the U S and then we've seen in central Ohio and um, some sick patients that have been COVID positive um, and have had some deaths in the Franklin County area. It, I've certainly taken care of a few of those patients, but our hospital is dead. Two floors are closed right now. We have cut back on some uh, EM shifts because people are doing exactly what they're supposed to do. They're social distancing. They're not going out and doing uh, stupid things. You know, the trauma season hasn't started, but with people inside and, and not being out and about. And then obviously, I think people that normally would have come to the ED for something are just staying away. They, they're figuring out how to manage it at home or just dealing with it in a way that maybe they wouldn't have a few weeks ago before all this started because they, they don't want to, one, burden the system, which is appreciated, or two, be around somebody who is sick. So it's almost like the weather outside. It's the same analogy. It's just bizarre. We know something's coming. I think that Central Ohio is going to fare a lot better than some places. I, I really do. Maybe I'm hopeful. Maybe I'm not. Uh, maybe I'm just wrong. I don't know. Uh, but it's strange. It's a strange feeling. Um, and it it's a feeling in the gut of your stomach you just can't get out 
go for a run and it's beautiful and I'm still thinking about, but man, what's it going to be like Friday when I go to work and I'm on the, the dirty pod because we've split our ED into clean pod, dirty pod and dirty being the COVID patients and clean being the patients we don't think are high-risk COVID patients um, to help save on PPE and decontamination. And, you know, when you're on the, the COVID pod or the, the respiratory uh, infectious disease pod, you're on, you know, a high alert all the time. And then you get to work a shift on what's quote unquote, the clean pod and deal with your chest pains and abdominal pains and neurology like patients. And you're still on alert and you're still asking all the same questions, but you don't have to be quite as uh, high strung, as you, you are. So it helps. It does help the ED mentality a little bit on shifts, I think. But gosh, I, this is bizarre. This is uncharted territory. For sure. I think the thing that I keep coming back to is like the seeds have been sown for whatever is coming. It's it's already there. Uh, it just takes a week or so for it to brew. And I was I was rallying for some Idaho state government intervention to do some enforced social distancing, essentially. And thankfully, our governor finally made the order, um, catching up with some of the other states around the country. But that still worries me. Like, how long did we wait too long? Is it going to cause problems a week from now or two weeks from now? And so I'm very intrigued to see where this goes. I know there's some questions from our listeners that we put out there as far as things they wanted to hear us talk about. This is not going to be the uh, in-depth, detailed episode. Our last episode was um, just because we don't have a whole lot more, I think, clinically to add right now. But um, one of the questions is what we're doing um, to keep COVID out of our house. I think that's been a common question that a lot of people want to know about. It's been on social media a fair amount. We talked about it a little bit on our first episode, but just a quick recap on on what are you guys doing to... Tanner, you're keeping it out of your hotel room. Uh, hopefully didn't bring any of that back to to Idaho with you. But Andy, uh, you and I are in the same boat. So so what are you guys doing? Yeah. So for, for me, I really sat down and luckily I wasn't the only one thinking about this that uh, on the EM Docs Facebook group and on other uh, media oh, platforms. And, and come on, let's be honest, your wife was all over this. So there is a Lives for Doctors Wives Facebook group for those that are physicians, if you're wondering. Your wife isn't a member of it. She should take I, a look I at it. blocked my wife from being on that one. Oh, good for you. In that, I came home from my shift and there was literally like a list of things I needed to do. And some of them were a little extreme, but some of them weren't. And so what, I, what I've done is I went from wearing my own scrubs to I've gone back to hospital scrubs gotten the everyday comment of, wow, you haven't worn green re- scrubs since you were a resident. And I'm like, yep, now, I haven't. Now, Andy, are, you, are yeah. those hospital scrubs that you already had, or are you exchanging them at the hospital? I'm going to the hospital scrub exchange and getting them from the hospital. So, so you're, you're breaking into the surgical area, stealing the scrubs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, yeah okay. I, Not stealing. Break, I mean, they're, 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 yeah, they're available for Is it for breaking in if my, if my badge works? You know, my, my badge uh, that's, works there, so. That's a great yeah. point. That's not yeah. breaking in. Terms. That's yeah. not breaking in. I also don't, after they remodeled the surgical area, know where the scrubs are in our hospital anymore. Oh, so you might have to show me someday. I'll have to show you. So so I, I show up uh, an extra 30 minutes early to my shift, which is logistically a little different, which is which is fine. But I show up early in street clothes, walk in a non-public entrance, um, go grab some scrubs, put my regular clothes, hang them in my locker. I designated a pair of shoes that will be my COVID shoes that when this is all over, I'm just going to throw them away. And so nothing that I wear on shift makes it back to my house. And so to me, that makes me feel a little better because, again, we if you go in a room, even though we're wearing a gown and stuff, the rest of you, the rest of you is exposed. But I'm, I'm a big proponent of getting home, taking the clothes off that I do wear, put them in a laundry sack, stripping down, and then going taking a shower immediately. And then I, I have distanced myself. Um, I, I'm sleeping in the guest room. Um, I'm doing a lot of distancing parenting where it's, you know, uh, I will put the kids to sleep from the, from the door of their room, but no more cuddles, no more lying in bed. Um, no more reading books to them, you know, kind of snuggling kind of stuff. And then, yeah, um, and my car's been kind of deemed off limits to where we don't use it with other with the rest of the kids. So whenever we go out, um, we typically take my wife's car just because we're trying to keep 
but your kids as as don't all fit in your car anyway, so it's fine. That's also true. It does make it easy. It's an easy <laughs> yeah. excuse not to use my car. So, so interesting. You talked about uh, coming in a non-public entrance. That actually isn't going to work for you anymore. Um, our yeah. hospital mm-hmm. changed yeah. a policy starting yesterday or two days ago. Um, so this week that everybody coming in, employees have to come through the certain entrances, which are public entrances, because we've closed a lot of the entrances and you have to get a temperature check. I have mixed feelings about this. I get it. I think it's important to make sure that the people working aren't sick. Um, they're not doing incredibly accurate temperature taking. I had the forehead, whatever, temporal artery temperature taken on me yesterday when I showed up. And uh, good news is I didn't have a fever. Bad news is I needed to be put on a bear hugger because I was 95.5. Um, <laughs> you looked so, a little cold. Yeah, you know, and, and, and the funny thing is, you know, if you're under 100 degrees Fahrenheit, then you're fine. And again, I get it. And I am not poo-pooing the efforts to make sure that uh, the providers are not sick. Um, but I'm not convinced that that's also all that beneficial at the end of the day doing what we're doing, but we'll find out. Um, and please, 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 my employers don't think that I'm uh, being a naysayer right now because I appreciate you looking out for us and, and our patients. Um, and this is uh, some version of this is a necessary step. Yeah, no, I mean, that, and the reality is everyone's just trying to do their best. And, yeah. you know, if that's one potential way to decrease exposure and, and transmission of this disease, you know what? So be it. It's weird. It's awkward. It may not be perfect, but... I'm also really worried that when we get to the summer, if we're still doing temperature checks, because if it's 90 <laughs> degrees outside and I'm coming for the afternoon shift, yeah. I will be over 100 degrees Fahrenheit walking from my car in the hot sun. Well, they're going to have to do core body temperature checks. Coming in, yeah. Well, and that's what I told some of the nurses. I go, listen, if I run a fever on one of these, I'm, I'm sorry, you're going to have to do a rectal temperature. Yeah. I'm not going to like it. You're not going to like it. But, but <laughs> we got to know, do I or do I not have a fever? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, even though I'm at a hotel right now, like my decon process is so different than I've ever had in my entire life. I have a literally a plastic bag that's zipped that I come and I put all of my clothes that I'm wearing after my shift, my shoes in it completely that leave that in the room at the front of the door and then go straight to shower. I mean, you guys are going directly to shower, all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, I think my routine and your routine are pretty similar. I uh, I change at the hospital. So I wear my scrubs to to work. They're clean. Um, I'm not doing what Andy's doing and getting scrubs at the hospital. Maybe maybe I will change to that. But I bring a second set of clothes, um, a cl- clean pair of scrub pants and a shirt. I change at the hospital almost using the same doffing procedure I use with. Exactly, yeah. Um, my gown. So everything is turned inside out, goes into a plastic bag uh, for the drive home. Before I get into my car, I'm washing my arms up to my elbows and rinsing my face off. Then shoes come off in the garage. The fleece that I wear just to and from the hospital, not even on shift, my on shift fleece is staying at the hospital um, unless it needs to come home to be cleaned. And that's just a vest. Um, and then my dirty clothes stay in a, the first plastic bag into a second larger plastic bag in the garage with my shoes. And then every couple shifts, those go into the wash. Everything's getting washed on on hot, which based on everything I've read so far is good enough to uh, kill this virus. As long as you're washing and drying on hot, we're not contaminating the washing machine. Obviously, all this is getting washed uh, separately from other people's clothes. It's just my stuff in there. And that's the routine we're using. You know, I, I think it's pretty. And then even though I'm wearing clean clothes, I've washed my arms, I've rinsed off my face, I go straight to the shower, rinse off, put on clean clothes. And I'm doing some social distancing at home. My wife and I are sleeping in separate spaces, mainly because we just can't afford her to get sick um, with our kids being home. 
I'm not quite as anal as Andy is. I will still lay in bed um, with my daughter. I don't, you know, no kisses to the face, no close snuggles, but I'll read her a book, keeping a little bit of distancing um, and things like that, not breathing in the face. Um, and then certainly if I was to be coughing or anything like that, I would clearly avoid them like like the plague. So doing some version of what Andy's doing. Yeah. At, at home right now, I'm, I'm very similar to that. But, you know, I think the hardest one was for my parents, you know, telling them in town that, hey, I am the highest risk individual, you know, except for the proven positive COVID patients. Like, technically, I may have it. I just don't know it yet. And so we probably shouldn't be near each other. You you guys are high-risk individuals comparatively. So if we want to have a cocktail and you guys sit on the other side of the fence and we talk through the iron bars of the fence, sure, yeah, we can do that um, from appropriate distance. But you know, in terms of ha- coming over and having dinner together during this uh, lockdown time, probably not a good idea. Yeah, I mean, my mom's been living with us uh, for going on two weeks now. Decided she didn't want to be alone in Chicago uh, while this was going on and wanted to help out with the kids. But, you know, I, I have not hugged my mom since she's been in town. Because every day I go to the hospital, I start a new 14-day quarantine period, mm-hmm. right? And obviously, we're not quarantining. And I think we talked about this on the, the first episode, but that's that's it. You know, every day we go to the hospital, it's, it's 14 more days until you can be certain that you didn't get it, even though we're doing the right things. And fortunately, as of now, PPE is not an issue for us. Our hospital tells us that there is plenty of supply and they're working on mechanisms to properly clean and reuse and and things like that. Um, Don't get me wrong. If we end up being like New York City, uh, there will be supply issues. But but right now we're fine. and, And I am, I think, properly protecting myself. Yeah. I mean, we're all trying the best we can. And, you know, whether you're New York or middle of nowhere that hasn't really been hit, like... PPE is the thing that we're trying to do the best with. And, you know, I think that's one of the advantages the non coasts have had is we've had an extra week to like figure out our PPP st- PPE stuff or just decrease our use overall on shift for me. That's one of the big things I'm focusing on is how can I decrease my PPE wasting essentially? And is there any patients I can cut down on actually having to go in for that last one more visit or having discussions with them early so that we can avoid having to do that trash bag style like New York. I mean, some of the photos of those providers and and care staff using trash bags as PPE is ridiculous. Although it's, it's, to be honest, creative. I I don't know that I would have thought of that right away, but uh, you know, it's really no different than wearing that blue plastic gown that I'm wearing on my, my high concerned patients and if anything maybe protects a little better because it's 360 coverage so yeah it's not it's not what i want to see um we need to do a better job of providing proper ppe for our patients but good for them for being figuring out a way to, to do it and you know go back to our first post on our, our website emoverezy.com there's a link um two actually different links one for a crowdsourced um encouragement to get proper ppe and one to write a letter to your congressman to get first providers, uh, frontline providers, proper PPE. So please check that out. We'll link it again on these show notes, but uh, definitely do that if you haven't already done that. We we appreciate it from the bottom of our hearts for us individually and, and all of our coworkers, whether they're EMS or in the hospital. So guys, the next question um, is, how are we dealing with scripting with our family members about COVID? It's hard, right? Because we're also learning on the fly as this thing develops and continues to change. But the big message, right, is social distancing and physically, you know, decreasing people's risk. I think step one is trying to convince people it's real because that can be maybe the biggest and the most difficult step. 
But once you do that, then it's just going to be explaining, here's the, here's the boundaries. For me, like I was kind of explaining earlier, the hardest one was my parents, getting them A, to understand and B, to also know that I'm going to be taking it seriously was hard, not because they didn't listen or didn't understand, but because it just felt really difficult to tell them, I can't hug you. We're a huggy family. Like this is, this is going to be really awkward for a while. And, and so I think somehow communicating those two big steps is, is the hardest part here. It's, it's tough. Um, my family, I think, gets it. Uh, certainly everyone that I'm, I'm around, although my mom decided to come live with a really high-risk uh, person, um, but we're doing social distancing in our own house. Um, but my father, and my parents are divorced. We've talked about this on previous episodes. He uh, is in Ohio, also about an hour and a half away from me. I haven't seen him since this started. He runs a pretty decent sized company in a small town in uh, Northwest Ohio. That as of Tuesday, so just a couple days ago, their doors are closed. Um, that was an order by the the governor. Little parts of it are open because it's essential services, but they made the decision not to try to get an exemption to be uh, essential services for the entire company because they felt the right thing to do was to get the vast majority of the workers home um, and that they couldn't do safe social distancing in certain parts of the factory. It took a little while for him to come around to that being the right thing to do, but he did and he does. And so that's been been amazing. You know, I've had friends reach out to um, including neighbor that I'm incredibly close with that very well may have COVID started with GI symptoms, progressed to a little bit of a cough and the question from his wife who then has some symptoms, they're both doing fine, by the way, and, and getting better, um, not, not bad cases was what do we do? Do we go get tested? And initially, his symptoms didn't really sound that much like COVID. And I go, I don't know if it is or it isn't. It doesn't matter. He wouldn't qualify for testing based on the algorithms we're using from the CDC that we've adapted for Central Ohio. So stay at home, stay hydrated. And if it gets sick to the point that, you know, trouble breathing or getting so dehydrated that he's confused or whatever, then call me and come to the hospital. But until then, just just stay away because that's it, it sucks that we can't tell you what you have or you don't have, but that's the reality of the situation. We don't have enough tests, so we're not testing everybody. You know, assume you have it and hope that you don't. And that's that's my party line, um, whether it's in the hospital to patients that don't qualify for testing um, or if it's my friends that are asking questions. Last night, I was on a video conference with all my college roommates, you know, just trying to get together social distance hangout type of scenario where people can kind of just decompress and, and have some of that human interaction that we're looking for. And and one of the comments I made was, statistically, half of us are going to be getting sick on this conference call. It may be more, it may be slightly less, but you know, if you guys need anything, let me know. I'm more than happy to give you advice and, and be open with you. But the reality is, unless you're not able to breathe or something else really weird is going on, like you just got to ride this out more than anything else that you've ever ridden out in your life. Because <laughs> anytime you go out with potential symptoms, it, it may be a, a, a chance to spread this to someone else. For me, it's the the other big issue I've found is people are always looking for a great resource to stay connected with the story and kind of know how to track it because there's a lot out there right now. And so I've been really diligent in sending them to their, their state health department because that's where they're going to find information about where they can get tested if they get sick enough. And then the second one is, is I'm a big fan of the John Hopkins kind of live interactive map. I check it every day. I know that might sound weird, but it's it's a good collection and coalition of all the great resources in one spot to know an accurate accounting of what's going on. Yeah, the John Hopkins site is incredible. Um, it, it, I'm clearly going to spill my uh, political leanings, but I think both NPR and in particular, the New York Times have done an incredible mm -hmm. job with their coronavirus coverage. Um, if you stay away from the more politically minded articles on New York Times, um, which I don't mind, but some people might, their actual just straight up COVID coverage is mm -hmm. legit and it is not biased at all. It is, um, 
they, they have some incredible modeling, some of which is from Johns Hopkins and some other places. They have some great graphics and great explanations for why social distancing matters. And there's my uh, trouble with that social again, uh, comes out two episodes in a row. So th- th- those are my sources, and um, we'll link some of those in the show notes, both both the New York Times and the Johns Hopkins stuff. What was the next question? So what are you guys doing for your spouses? Because I, I know my wife and I talk about this pretty regularly. Like this is uncharted water for her. Of course, we've had the kids home extra, but because I'm, you know, because of social distancing and my sleeping in a different room, and what are you guys doing for them right now? And it's okay if you say nothing, by the way. Because <laughs> I, because when I saw that question, I was like, I have been a little bit of a jerk, and I'm probably not doing as much as I could. You know, a lot of what we normally do, but just being much more cognizant of it because of everything that's going on, making sure that communication lines are open. How are you doing? How can I help out? What What's the biggest needs? What's the biggest wants? I mean, for me, for the most part, it's just been, I'm the one doing the grocery store runs and things like that. Because again, high risk person, I, as long as I, and might and, as well go out and get it somewhere else and spread yeah. the love to everyone else too. Way to go, Tanner. Well, Jeez, no, t- not no, so I'm much, doing the same thing. I get it. Not, not yeah. so much that is like, you know, the chance of me contracting it is higher at work than it is for me going out to the grocery store. And also I don't have a two-year-old that I have to con- like corral and mm-hmm. try not to have touch things where I can know very well what I have touched, what I haven't touched, be cognizant of that. Um, washing my hands multiple times throughout the process of just going to do errands and that kind of stuff. So I think for me, that's the biggest way I can support her. Other than that, just keep an open communication see who needs what and, and do the best I can. Yeah. Talk, keep, be open like that. No, uh, I'm trying to be as helpful as I possibly can at home. Um, and the flip side of it too, is we, we need help, um, as providers too, right? We can't necessarily bear maybe quite as much stress or responsibility as we typically would, because this is, uh, all consuming. I don't know how to describe it any differently. Um, you know, the other day, uh, my mom was watching the news and, and made some comment about, uh, mask supplies. And I simply looked at her and I said, mom, don't talk to me about this. I, whatever you saw on the news, I know it's upsetting to you, but I, I'm dealing with this 24 hours a day. Yeah, I, I'm I'm 100 with you, and I get it, but but please, just know. And and that was a reality check for her. She's like, oh my gosh, you're right. I I didn't, you know, she was just upset for me, but didn't realize that I didn't need that extra level of upsetness. You know, one of the silly little things we're doing in our house is. Um, I'm, every time I go to the grocery store, I bring home another bouquet of flowers. Um, it seems uh, petty, but it's amazing. You know, you have something bright in your house that people look at and, and go, that's nice. We try to keep flowers in our house anyway. We're a little overboard right now and, and have them in a couple rooms just so that there's, you know, it, it changes your outlook a little bit. And I honestly, I think it makes a difference. So uh, plus, hey, you know, it helps uh, clean the air. 100% so, agree. What? I don't know. If, I don't. I don't know if dead flowers. After, I don't know. Yeah, if yeah. The, no, they're, well, they're taking the you know the carbon. That's probably I mean, true. They probably still intake. Give they off might a little not. bit of oxygen as they're growing. I mean, it's just it's you know whatever. Well, mm, work we, with me. Okay, well, you can take that part. That's another, take that part out. That's another. No, we're <laughs> no, leaving no, this no, in. Leave, this leave is, that in. I want to. I want this science to be thrown out there for everyone to judge. And I think to to speak to Drew's point is that what you can do for your healthcare worker in your life is they're very simple things. I have been very very thankful for text messages. And just, you know, voicemails and we use Marco Polo as a family, Marco Polo messages, which are little video chats from family members just saying, hey, we appreciate you. They understand they're, they're starting to understand the baseline, what, what we go through every day. And then this is just heightening it. So it's if there's somebody that you feel like you need to reach out to, please do it. The simplest gesture is going to be very, very helpful. I, yeah, it's, I, it's amazing to me. The number of people that just send little texts, uh, friends that say, hey, we're thinking about you. Stay safe. It means it means the world. Uh, absolutely. I 
I have been uh, brought to the verge of tears multiple times already during this. And I think part of it is because, you know, we've, we've talked about this already, but this is the most sustained stress I've ever had in my entire career so far in terms of the opportunities for me to fully decompress and relax are so few and far between right now, especially when I'm on a string of shifts that that little text message could mean, you know, that little bump of happiness that gets me through the next, you know, few hours. And, um, I, one of the things that happened for, for me was on my way into a shift, some, a couple of girls from nearby the neighborhood came to our ER and they in chalk wrote on the ground as you know, the entrance that the, the, uh, employees go into and the staff go into was just like, you know, heroes work here and a bunch of like encouraging words and no joke. Every single person in the staff walked out there, took photos, you know, there's, there was tears and, and stuff because we're all stressed right now. And that little message of someone else is thinking about us was so, so huge. Um, and it kind of went last night with the same thing with my college roommates. Like that was the reason for us to do that is because I reached out and said, Hey guys, I could, I could use just a, a FaceTime and beer with you you know, have a little bit of fun chat and, and decompress a little bit. And, and it was so much fun and it's so helpful. So I think that's the nail hammer, hit the nail on the head type of scenario is just reach out and be there for them and, and they'll, let, they'll guide you with what they need. Well, guys, thanks again for coming on. want to reach out to our listeners and say, if you have any other questions that we didn't answer today, would like us to answer on our next update, you can send those questions in via Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, or directly to emovereasy.com. Again, thanks for listening and hope you guys all have a great day. Stay safe, everybody. Stay safe, everybody.